suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Yes, thank you, Sir David, for that introduction. We're back for a regular podcast. No book review tonight. It's back to the normal review of what's happened, well, in this case, in the previous two weeks. This is the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast. I'm Trevor, a.k.a. the Iron Fist, all the way from regional Queensland on the line, the Velvet Glove. Scott, how are you, Scott? Good, thanks, Trevor. G'day, Joe. G'day, Trevor. G'day, listeners. How are you all? We are. Well, I was fine until I read about a submarine announcement, but we'll get on to that. Joe, the tech guy, uh, his holiness, how are you? You're good? Good. Right. So, yes, I nearly, I was going to say I nearly had a heart attack when I saw the (laughs) submarine announcement, but I didn't because my expectations of this Labor government are pretty low and getting lower by the minute. So... We're going to talk about the submarine deal. We're going to talk about a whole China scare campaign that's been going on in The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald. We'll talk about some religious stuff, religious instruction in Queensland, lots of coverage of that. Gary Lineker, former English footballer, had a run-in with the BBC, which I find is a really interesting story. Hodgepodge of different things. Maybe get to some media shortcomings Maybe get to the latest Nord Stream theories. I sent the guys, sort of, I reconfigured the notes and sent it to them in an email. And I thought, do you know how long that is? And I looked at it, it was 46 pages. So if we get through every topic, we'll probably be here for another six hours. So we won't do that to you. We'll see how we go. It wasn't it's, just Gary Lineker, it was also Sir David Attenborough. Yes, as well. So a whole bunch of people. Well, it was a very interesting situation. So we're, we've got a lot to cover. If you're in the chat room, say... I did think it was very amusing that the Brits were criticising their own government for instituting basically what Australia has instituted. Yes. You know, which is... I'm not sure what that says about us. Mm. It probably says that we're a pack of pricks, which I've got no... Well, we didn't have a uh, famous, doubt. much-beloved footballer who made a noise about it at the time in a really powerful position, probably. No, exactly. We'll get onto that. But footballers, I mean, another ethical conundrum with freedom of speech, workplace rights. There's no stopping these footballers when it comes to ethical conundrums. It's it's an amazing source of of material. So, yeah, in the chat room we've got Andrew and John and David. Say hello if you're there. And, yeah, we'll incorporate your comments if we can as we go along. So, see us. Coming to you, I'm in the leafy western suburbs of Brisbane. Scott's in regional Queensland, and Joe's in the less leafy northern suburbs of Brisbane, Queensland. I won't say Australia. Perhaps I should refer to Australia as the US South Pacific Command now. Because oh, it's not that bad. <laughs> I think that's what we're deteriorating into. So the big announcement today was 
that under this AUKUS agreement, and the details are a bit shady, but it seems like we are committing to spend between now and 2050. Are you sitting down, dear listener? $368 billion. At the top end. In order to acquire eight submarines, nuclear power, apparently. And that's just the budget. When you say the top end, what you say the... You said the top yeah. figure, or what did you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They said between 260 and 360. Yeah. And, I mean, defence contracts always run on time and on budget. Of course they do. There's no chance that this would be even double or triple that amount. <laughs> Scott, we talked about I... submarines so much over the years. It had cropped up yeah, in... Yeah, I'm getting in, a little bit bored with it. Yeah. It, <laughs> it cropped up in nearly episode six or seven, I reckon. And... Well, and at the time of the Abbott government, they announced $50 billion for 12 submarines. Oh. And we talked about it so much that I knew off by heart that 50 divided by 12 was 4.16. We talked about it so much, that's a figure in my head. And at the time, that was an outrageous figure, $4 billion. When we could buy... Yeah, I remember off- at the time you were saying... Yeah, I remember at the time you were saying that, you know, they, they probably wanted eight, but they... They thought to themselves, I'll oh, put it in an ambit claim and ask for 12, and then they fell over themselves when the government agreed. Yeah. And, and that was an over-the-top crazy figure, given that we could buy them for $1 billion or a bit over $1 billion each from Japan, for example, Japan. smaller ones. Mm. So, so already 4.16 was well above what we should have been paying of a bit over $1 billion. And now... <laughs> We're up to, what does the figure come to when you get $368 billion well, divided four, by eight? 400 would be 50 each. So it's $46 billion, $46 billion submarine, and they're not even the right submarines. Scott, you say you're bored with the topic. You, you, find, you oh, find the topic boring? Not really. It's just that I find the media, the media handling of this is is ridiculous. Like the Age and that sort of stuff. Their front page was absolutely crazy. We had this picture of China with jets flying out of it and that sort of thing. Mm. And they're saying Australia must prepare for the threat of war with China. You know, it's. I would have thought that cooler heads will prevail eventually. And that don't look at me like that, Trevor. I just think that they will they will prevail eventually, and that when the, the Greens get into power, well, I hope not. But anyway, that's the only way it's going to happen. Sorry, that's the only that's the only way it's going to happen. When you well, say cooler you heads, we've, we've had okay. But China and the United States have been walking this tightrope for a very long time. And I would have thought that the two countries are big enough and ugly enough to resolve these things peacefully mm. rather than getting involved in a scrap because both sides know that the war that would come would be bloody and it would be very long mm. and that there is no guarantee that either side would be successful, mm-hmm. but both sides are going to have very, very significant casualties. So I would have thought that both sides would understand that and both sides would want to walk away from a, a potential conflict. The problem is even if they so, do walk away from it, it's all peace and, mm, and harmony, we would have spent $368 billion on eight Yeah, submarines. which is a ridiculous amount. No, 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 no. hang on. Because you know, we're going to have eight nuclear power plants that we can park off the coast. 
<laughs> so when our coal-fired power system yeah. falls into a heap on the ground. Yeah, we can make some hydrogen We can or something yeah. like that, maybe. Yeah. Look, the shovel. It is, a, it is a ridiculous. It is a ridiculous sum of money that they have just agreed. It, it to is pay insane. Out. Now, I would now that three hundred and sixty-eight billion dollars apparently includes. Now, I could be wrong, but apparently it's got something about upgrading the bases and that sort of stuff in Western Australia and also the Eastern Seaboard. Mm. So that's apparently to give the Yanks the ability to project their powers and that sort of stuff down here in the southern in the southern Pacific. But $368 billion is an eye-watering amount of money. It's a criminal it's, amount of money. What we could yeah. do with that, and also we'll get into it, but it's actually counterproductive. We're actually less safe because of these submarines. Because as we've mentioned over the previous 375 episodes on way too many occasions, these nuclear-powered submarines are designed for heading over to the South China Sea and firing missiles at China. It's not about defending Australia. These guys are designed for attacking China. So we're actually spending money to make ourselves more of a target. If we had acquired cheap, off-the-shelf Japanese subs that are defensive in nature and designed to sit in the shallow waters on our northern coastline, we could say to the, the Chinese, look, nothing to worry about. These are defensive subs. If you don't attack us, you don't have a problem. Meanwhile, the Chinese Ooh. will look at these subs and go, what the fuck? By the way, language warning on this episode, dear listener, because this really riles me up, this topic. So there will be plenty of F-words dropped in this one, or F-bombs. Like the Chinese could, you know, really should say, what the hell, Australia? Attack submarines? For the clear purpose of attacking China, we would have been fine with defensive ones, but this is an act of aggression. So the, we're spending the money that actually makes us less safe. That's, that's all part of the criminal action that this is, this deal. So actually, the shovel had the right idea. They, they released a report which said Australia has cancelled its $368 billion submarine purchase just hours after announcing it after someone realised it would be cheaper just to give China $300 billion in return for an agreement not to invade. Yeah, but <laughs> Ru Russia had one of those with Germany. How did that turn out? Yeah. So in the announcement, Albanese said that his government was also determined to promote security by investing in our relationships across our region. This is not a good relationship builder with China, let me say. The deal will mean Australia will build some in the early 2040s using a British design and US technology. Meanwhile, we're going to have US submarines visiting our ports from later this year and there's going to be a deal where there's a rotating presence of, of UK and US submarines coming to our shore, basically just to say to China... We've got these submarines and sort of as a bit of a cover in the event that the Collins class ones start failing due to maintenance. And But yeah, those visiting ones will be under command of the US and UK owners of those submarines. And yeah, so that was the announcement. Another guy on Twitter said, breaking, the Reserve Bank governor has announced an immediate 500 basis point increase in the target cash rate to try to restrain defence spending. <laughs> that makes sense. Wait, but yeah, governments can't... don't borrow money in the same way, though, do they? Well, 
What is this? I'd like to know what denomination this is. Are we paying in US dollars? What's the deal here? I'd, what's? I would have thought we are paying them in US dollars and British pounds. Didn't see it written anywhere. If we just said, "I oh, will pay you Aussie dollars," but if we if we've if we're, we're going to pay US dollars, I don't think the Yanks are going to take that. They're going to actually buy them. They're going to sell them in US dollars. Yeah. Or yeah. So, Joe, we can print it, but then we've got to convert them somehow to US dollars. So that's not easy. Chat room seems to be going off and sing out, guys, if you can see anything in there. What else have we got to say? So, yeah, these are big John, John wants you to define what defensive means. Defensive means designed to shoot ships heading our ships. way. That's right. Rather mm-hmm. than designed to pummel a land-based infrastructure. So... Stuff with torpedoes designed to sink ships rather than firing missiles designed to end up on somebody's city. That's what I would define as defensive. And the off-the-shelf Japanese require less manning, less personnel, more suited to our shallow waters. We can get them for the comparatively cheap price of a bit over a billion dollars each and we're not subservient to the US or the UK. And we could man them. Like, we can't even find crew to man the Collins-class submarines. How are we going to find people? Funnily enough, it's not easy to find people who want to sit in a submarine that might be underwater for Smelling three months. Smelling recycled farts for three months. <laughs> this, will it ever happen? It just, this, honestly, I'm so glad I voted green. I would have been so pissed if I'd voted for this stupid Labor government. I mean, we all know that the previous coalition was full of duds, not very smart people. And clearly this Labor government, the parliamentarians and the cabinet, are smarter men and women, but they are obviously incredibly naive to have fallen for the spin of the military-industrial complex and to have marvelled at the shiny objects and to have signed up for it. Just naive country bumpkins willing to be the lapdogs of the US again. I just marvel at how easy it was for the military-industrial complex to pull it off. So easy. What, what Have these people not been reading stuff? Do they not comprehend how the world works? It's insane. It's I, an I insane decision. Beholden to Murdoch just as much as the other side are. I th- no, I think Miles is all the way. He, I think he, I think he thinks it's a good idea. He sits in an office and listens to the defence chiefs and goes, "Yeah, okay, whatever." It's like Albanese said in the either very close to the election day or shortly afterwards. He said, "Defence is a bipartisan stuff. We we accept the same advice that the coalition would accept." from our Defence Department officials, so we will always be of thinking of the same mind. Is essentially what he said, was we both take advice from the same people and we just take the advice and accept it. Nuts. It's infuriating. And it will just roll on as another disaster for this country if it, if it ever gets going. Hitching our wagon to a declining USA and a big FU to China, our major training partner. There's so much pressure on... China's got no oil or resources in that sense. It needs trade with people. It's not about to invade Australia, for goodness sake. It's 
This is just Propaganda 101, which is make up a story about an enemy, create an existential crisis and make it scary enough and people will agree to anything. And so, you know, that's what's been happening in our media with the relentless anti-China sentiment that's being displayed not only by Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, but just the ABC, Channel 7. They all, in their reports, talk about the dark shadow of China and the rising tensions and what China's been doing and how we need to be aware of it and face up to it. And I say, what have they been doing? But like, well, the quote attributed to Joseph Goebbels, Goebbels was... If you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. Let me give you an example, I think, of, of, of how this is playing out in the way that we've been manipulated, that the public has been manipulated. Let me just grab a video here, which is... This one was from before the announcement when Albanese was in India. I mean oh, we've got this great relationship with the Quad now. Again, because we might potentially be doing battle with those nasty Chinese and their terrible human rights record. Meanwhile, Modi in India and his human rights record, honestly, is it any better? Anyway, this is just, have a listen to this report. These leaders will discuss closer military cooperation, stretching the hand of friendship and security across an Indian Ocean under the shadow of China. But together we are building a better world. A world in which leaders need their friends. In Delhi, Mark Riley, 7 News. You'd swear China had just put some nuclear weapon aimed at Canberra, you know, on Port Moresby or something. <laughs> One more, just to illustrate this point, and then I'll stop, Scott, so you can, you can attack my rants, but let me just... No, I'm not going to attack your rants. Let me just show you this one here. This, I was listening to this one earlier today. This is Laura Tingle on Late Night Live speaking with Philip Adams. Now, Laura Tingle is... Is normally very sensible. ...is one of the most respected political journalists in Australia, probably the most. And in talking about this issue, this is what she had to say. I mean, look, it was a very unique way of approaching things in the 21st century in a media sense, I thought, Philip, the, the way the, the smage, as we fondly refer to it, approached that issue. I mean, look, there is a legitimate question of what are the Chinese doing? They're obviously getting much more assertive and it is alarming and it is driving the way policymakers in Canberra think about foreign policy, the way Americans are thinking about it, the way the whole world is thinking about it. Yeah, China getting much more assertive. How? In what way? And that's what's driving this, not the other way around. This is the sort of commentary that just keeps going endlessly as you listen to commentary. And this is the sort of soft propaganda where people hear this often enough and they just go, oh, China's doing some really bad things, obviously. Never specified exactly what it is, but, oh, China the boogeyman, oh, China's doing this or China's doing that. Well, they demanded Hong Kong and Macau back. I mean, come on. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, but they were given back and they, they, were, they were returned as part of the whole colonisation agreement and that sort of stuff, yeah. which was which was just contractually bound that they had to return it at 1997. So, so even a respected reporter like her just refers to this nebulous China's being aggressive and assertive and that's what's driving this whole thing without ever talking about what the specifics of it are and without ever saying, oh, is anybody else being assertive here? Maybe. I think it's just so frustrating that someone in her position doesn't have the awareness to think about these things and just blurts out and repeats the, the, the mantra of the, you know, the common discourse, if you like, and just repeats it as if it's a fact. This is how propaganda works, that if enough people say it, then good people like Laura Tingle pick it up and, and go with it. That's what's so frustrating about this. Ah, so. Scott, any feelings? Am I totally off the mark or no? I'll just... No, not really. I mean, I can understand where you're coming from, mm. but it's one of those things. It's I would honestly believe that if China thought they could get away with it, they would invade Taiwan and that would be the end of it and that they would they would just invade them, they would take them out. Mm. But I don't believe that they no longer think that they can just get away with it. You know, they've seen the way the Yanks propped up the Ukrainians and all that sort of thing, so I think that they're probably thinking to themselves, well, shit, you know, we've got the Japanese to our north, we've got the Indians to our south, we've got the Yanks to the east. So they're actually thinking to them. They're probably thinking to themselves that well, we don't, we can't fight on all these fronts at one time. So that is why I think that that's why I think that cooler heads will prevail because I honestly don't believe China is that hell bent on undoing the what was it two hundred years or three hundred years of humiliation. Mm -hmm you know, over one tiny island that the rest of the world still considers is part of China. You know, it's just one of those things. You know, I just... people like Laura Tingle and the guy on Channel 7 would, you know, talking about The Voice, for example, people are always prepared to, you know, label people as racist if they're not prepared to say, accept the argument of The Voice. But really, if you look at it, a lot of this anti-China sentiment is racist. It's, yeah, it's, it's, no a, it's a xenophobic racism. Please and, explain. Well, <laughs> yeah, please explain, yeah, xenophobic, fear of the other. That's what's going on here is there's, there's a racism towards China and I'm going to play. It's a little bit long, but I really want to... The narrative is so strong on anti-China that... I want to counteract it with at least something that's positive and it involves Giannis Furifakis and you all know I'm a Giannis fanboy. So apparently he got attacked in Greece, got beaten up by some guys the other day. Oh, really? Yeah, so he ended up in hospital and, and got beaten up by a bunch of thugs. So, so for all those people who just want to be racist towards China and consider them the big bad bogeymen who are just looking for trouble, sit back and listen to this for five minutes and one second as a, as a counter to the narrative that we just keep hearing all the time. Here we go. I've been very concerned lately about China. 
they're in Africa. They're they're lending money to countries to build ports and different infrastructure. To build what? Port. Harbors. And what's wrong with that? And well, because countries that need ports get ports. But they're making people dependent on. I mean, I know it's the same thing that we've done, which is no, it's not all around the world. They are they are far more humanistic than the United States ever was. <laughs> really? Okay. Absolutely. Great. So. Let me give, give you an okay. example. Of course, they are trying, they are peddling for, in, for, for influence. Yeah. Yeah? But they are non-interventionist. Absolutely non-interventionist in a way that Europeans, the West, has never managed to fathom. But I, I have a feeling they have a longer-term thought process that's, uh, that okay. is more right, right, interventionist. Right, right. But, but, but anyway, let's judge what so, we no. see. Let's okay. judge what From my understanding of China, there is a very, it's a very interesting social experiment in the sense that at the local level, the regional level, you now have a boisterous democracy at the local and regional level, eh? with even with popular success stories in overthrowing local authorities, local bureaucrats who have been corrupt, who have been this, who have been that, who have been the other. When it comes to the influence of China outside its borders, I have to say, firstly, it's quite remarkable that they don't seem to have any military ambitions. Secondly, Africa. I'll give you an example, a specific example, Ethiopia. 2004, because it ha I happened to be there and I, I have some first-person, first-hand experience of it, they went into Ethiopia. I'll tell you why they went into Ethiopia, because they suspected it was oil. Because China is a major industrial power, but it lacks primary resources. Now, instead of going into Africa with troops, colonially destroying the country, killing people like the West has done for the last hundred years, what they did was they went to Addis Ababa and they said to the government, we would like, and we can see you have problem, problems with your infrastructure, we would like to build some new airports, upgrade your railway system, create a telephone system and rebuild your roads. And we'll do this all, all for free. No strings attached. We don't want anything from you. And they did. Why did they do it? Because it's soft power. Because it, now, it, because they knew that if oil is discovered, and it was discovered later, then, of course, the Ethiopian government will be much more open to Chinese oil companies coming there. They have never combined their investment with imperialistic... I, I, you know, when I was Minister of Finance, I had a, a very interesting ex experience with Costco, one of the Chinese national companies that in the end bought the port of Piraeus. When, 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 I, when, when I moved into the ministry, I found a contract from the previous government that they had already sold the port of Piraeus for a pittance and other ridiculous conditions to the Chinese under the guidance, of course, of the European Union and the International Monetary Fund as well. And in other words, I was, as a minister, I was bound to a particular deal that was terrible for Greece. And I went to the Chinese and discussed this, it with them. And I was really astonished. I said to them, look, you're paying too little. You're not committing to a sufficient level of investment. And you are treating our workers as fodder. You are effectively subcontracting labor to horrible companies that exploit the workers, and I can't deal with this. And effectively, I proposed to them we, to renegotiate the contract, so instead of getting 67% of the shares of the port, they would get with the same price 51, 
the remaining shares would go into the Greek pension fund system in order to bolster the capitalization of the public pensions. Secondly, I want you to commit to 180 million euros of investment within 12 months. And thirdly, proper collective bargaining with the trade unions and no subcontracting of labor. And to my astonishment, they said, okay. Can you imagine if that was a German company or an American company? That's why I'm saying I don't think you should worry. Okay, I won't. Ah, yes, Giannis. I could listen to him all day. In the chat room, John, what's the evidence of no military intentions? Well, what's the evidence of, what is the evidence of military intentions? Mm. Tibet? <laughs> what, what evidence? Well, that was invaded by China. Yeah, years ago. ago. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It was invaded a long time yeah. ago. Yeah, well, you know. go back. Go back long enough and you'll get anybody with, like, 50 years ago. Is that the best that we can do? Where well, is the evidence, the John, things. of military intentions? I had an argument with, not an argument, you never got into an argument, with right-wing Tony because he was talking about China and the Belt and Road and the Sri Lankan port. And he said, you know, they, they line these people up with, with really difficult loans and then they foreclose and take over the assets. And he mentioned Sri Lankan port. I said, no, they didn't. Bullshit. That's just propaganda. That's not what happened. And we left it at that. I read it up later and it was, you know, that, that's not what had happened. But you do hear these false stories. So, look, they've got money to spend and they're doing it to try and acquire soft power. And that's just... If, if you listen to that and your immediate reaction is to try and say, bullshit, the Chinese are conniving, scheming assholes. Well, ask yourself if you're a racist. Is it just because of the Asian Chinese? I so much that you've become a racist. Really? If you objectively compare their actions with other countries, you have to come to a different conclusion. So, yeah, there we go. So keep talking in the chat room. What else have I got to say? So there was a big scare campaign in... The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald, where they ran an unbelievable front-page, multi-page, three-day extravaganza on the fact that Australia must prepare for war with China. And they just trotted out a bunch of characters who are known as, as, as hawks and had no voice that might have contradicted them. And Paul Keating, former Prime Minister, he was just appalled by it and he wrote an article in response, you know, basically objecting to everything. They just refused to run it. Wouldn't print a former Prime Minister's objection to their multi-page propaganda spiel. Wouldn't even run it. So he had to print it in John Menadue blog and essentially ran through the... He said... The first point is there's no threat from China in any strategic sense. There never has been such a threat from China, either implicit or explicit. He runs through the credentials of the people who were involved in writing the various articles and pointing out that they're just beholden to largely to ASPE, which is a think tank 
that purports to be an independent think tank providing advice on defence matters to the government, but there's no way it's independent. So ASPE, established by Australian government in 2001, employs 64 people, describes itself as an independent non-partisan think tank. Who funds it? The Department of Defence, $4 million. Federal government agencies, 2.6. Overseas government agencies, $1.9 million. A bit further on, we've got, we've got ASPE list sponsors, including some of the world's largest armament manufacturers, Lockheed Martin, Saab and Thales. And if you go beyond their website and look at the Australian Government Transparency Portal, you'll see that other sponsors providing funding include the US State Department, US Department of Defence, US Embassy, UK Foreign and Commonwealth Office, Lockheed Martin, Naval Group Australia, Northrop, Raphael, Raytheon, Saab and Thales again. This is an organisation completely funded by people Altruists. who want to sell. <laughs> Altruists, kind, yeah. generous people. People who want to sell armaments. Gosh, of course they're going to have a position that promotes a fear campaign that'll just conjure out of thin air in order to scare people to wanting to buy armaments. And nowhere do they disclose that sort of, of interest in this stuff. It's just outrageous that what used to be trustworthy news organisations have, have just descended... I'm, I'm... I'm sure that China is funding the drag queens as well. China's funding the drag queens. Just another one of their illegal activities. Yeah, exactly. Activities, one of their Undermining. immoral activities. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> yeah, getting blamed for nearly everything. So that's that's the Sydney Morning Herald. Like Fairfax 9, in many respects, has descended to the level of the Murdoch press once Costello got in charge. We're... We're really in a position where, Scott, what do you read? Do you, what newspapers do you read these days? I just read Crikey or the ABC, really. Right. Don't read any of those. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, do you? Sorry? Joe, you just, you're Apple News or something, are you? Or yeah, you? Apple, Apple News generally, yeah. which is a broad swath of everything from Sky News across to The Guardian. Yep. It's still all mainstream. There's nothing yeah. independent in there. Mm. The problem is the ABC is not much better because it, as I've just demonstrated with Laura Tingle, regurgitates the talking points, even to the to the extent where I think on that Insiders program with David Spears, they'll say, let's look at what the papers are saying. How, how on earth is that newsworthy or legitimate for the ABC to say, Oh, let's go through all the Murdoch and Fairfax Nine papers with their crazy headlines and repeat it as if it's valuable information of some sort. They give credibility to these people. The people who are arguing for this, who are pushing for this war to try and create something out of nothing, they should be treated like pedophiles. Like, they should be ashamed we should not be seeing the likes of them anywhere on any self-respecting media. We should be saying, you're one of those pricks who's trying to drum up a war out of nothing. Not having you on. Goodbye. Ooh. 
Especially vested interests. Yeah. But ABC will will bring out Greg fucking Sheridan on any panel that's short of a, a talking head. What did I do on? It had Gigi Foster on Q&A the other night. Give us some sensible people, ABC. Stop regurgitating. It's more than just silly nonsense now. It's really dangerous, this stuff, promoting a war out of nothing. And even if there is no war eventually, just getting us to spend $368 billion on, on this... What are we missing out on that we could have? Medicare. Exactly. You know, this is the whole bloody point. You've got Dutton saying that he's prepared to go bipartisan with the with the government to reduce the to reduce the budget and that sort of stuff so they can afford the AUKUS agreement. Mm. Now, you know, I've never had to rely on the NDIS or anything like that. I'm in a very um, I'm quite a healthy bloke and that type of thing, so I don't have to rely on it. But it's nice to know that it is ever there should anything ever happen to me, mm. you know. And Dutton's already talking about, oh, well, we might have to, we might have to cut back the NDIS. The know? fact that Peter Dutton agrees with this policy yeah. should be a, a, a warning sign. No, I agree. And, and this it's, was it's one of those things. This was a scheme <clears throat> dreamt up by agreed to by Scott Morrison, the whole AUKUS thing, again. Yeah. Look, I'll just divert as well. Yeah, but what he, would Jesus want? Yeah. Well, he, he was in The Australian in an article saying how clever he was for keeping AUKUS secret until the deal was done. And so from The Australian, by the way, you know, I quit my Australian subscription like three months ago. Mm-hmm. And it only just stopped letting me read the articles, so oh, really? yeah, got a good extra few months from that. But anyway, from the Australian senior diplomats and former foreign affairs minister, Maurice Payne was kept in the dark over the AUKUS <laughs> negotiations amid concerns that plans about it could be leaked and would scuttle the landmark deal. Amid concerns that it would distract her from the ironing. Yes. Scott Morrison here. It was the most remarkably held project that I suspect many could ever recall. He said, the secrecy was so essential because the second it moved outside those who only needed to know, it was a risk. He said, this wasn't 007, but it was essential to its success. It was hard enough to get agreement on this, on its merits, but had it broken outside the lines of containment, it would have proven fatal to the project because it would have been in the public domain, he said. It was so in the national interest to keep this tight. What a load of crap. Yeah, I know. It is a complete load of crap. Why can't we openly say, oh, we're thinking of going into an agreement called AUKUS with the UK and the US. Let's all talk about whether that's a good idea. Oh, but if we allow that, it'll never happen. Well, maybe that's a good reason not... If it, if it can't be discussed in the light of day and has to be done in a shadowy way by Scott Morrison single-handedly... No, or... no, it wasn't single-handedly. Come on. And this guy's as multiple ministers. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> exactly. And it, it, he's boasting about it as if it was such a, a great thing. <sighs> ah, where was I? 
I'll get off this in a second and we'll talk religion just to cheer us up. <laughs> oh, it's frustrating that Albanese and the Labor government are just walking down the same road. It's, it's frustrating. Alan Patience wrote an article, this was bef- about a week or two old, this one, saying that worried about how compliant it looked like Labor was going to be with US interests. And he said, Miles, Richard Miles, of course, belongs to the hard right faction of the Labor Party. His views on the alliance with the United States are more at home with the views of the madder factions in the Liberal and National Party. Penny Wong is the other player in this, and she's from the ALP's left faction, yet her timidity in the defence debates has seen her more aligned with the Miles view of the world than with the Labor's left. They really just swallowed everything. Are they allowed to speak out, though? Against cabinet solidarity? Yeah. Yeah. Guess you read between the lines of what people are wanting. Anyway, we'll talk a little bit later on about media shortcomings, but what do you do? It's just the military-industrial complex is just way too powerful. I see no ability or resolution to stop this happening. And even if five years ago you said this is what's going to happen, what could you do? (laughs) These things rest on such a, a handful of decision-makers at the end of the day. And, and they just get enough people in these positions who agree to these principles that they end up getting what they want. Even if you put it to a popular vote, it would still get passed. Yeah. Yeah, I had a statistic here that... So in 2018, 45% of Australians thought that China would become a military threat in the next 20 years. So 2018, 45%. Four years later, that proportion had jumped to 75%. And what had China done in that four years? Well, nothing really. 2022, Um, they'd said, you want to come in here and have weapons inspector-like powers to investigate our wet markets? We're not buying your wine and your barley. That's it. Well, Xi has also made inroads into centralising his power, reducing the power of the Politburo. That's their business. That's that's nothing to do with us. In the same way that you wouldn't want Donald Trump having ultimate control over everything. But is he a known warmonger? Like maybe that's a good thing. Maybe he's a pacifist. Maybe he's far better than the rest of them. Who knows? Maybe it was a a step forward for peace that he acquired more power. We don't know. We're never going to know exactly what type of man he is mm. because he he has never, well, because of the, the system and that sort of stuff that they have there, they make these decisions behind closed doors. Mm. So all the arguments and all that sort of stuff that would actually tell you what type of man he is, no one ever gets to see that. We know that he does like honey, though. Yes. Cause, yeah, uh, I know. Yeah, Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. That's a good rant. We're up to an hour and, well, 818. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about religion because, after all, this is a podcast that promotes secular issues. And I think I saw Alison in the chat room and... Yeah, she was in the... Alison has been 
doing some great stuff, Alison, in getting some coverage in the media to do with the religious instruction lessons. And was a video was released where they talked about harvesting of children in religious instruction lessons. And the word harvesting of children, well, word harvest, really grated with a lot of people. And fortunately... No, Curium... people misunderstood it. Yeah, that's right. Well, I think that's <laughs> one of the arguments. Of yeah. shit. One of the, one of the people behind one of the churches said, oh, they didn't, you've misunderstood, they didn't use the word harvest. Mm. Used, but it's clear as day when you hear it. And fortunately, there's been a guy called Matty Holdsworth at the Courier-Mail who's taken this story and run with it. So the Courier-Mail actually had three articles, at least, big prominent articles, and, uh, and there's also been coverage of three Labor state politicians who have basically come out declaring their position in one way or another through Facebook lights and Facebook comments. So just for the record... For those interstate who may not have heard it, this is Channel 7 News, religious instruction story. Here we go. An alarming leaked video from a Brisbane church shows volunteers discussing harvesting school students to turn them into disciples. They were talking about religious instruction in state schools, reigniting calls to ban the program. Preaching to a crowd, it took just one word to turn a church talk into a public debate on religion. You can have a potential to harvest hundreds for the Lord. In the video, a volunteer promotes the religious instruction school program as a way to harvest, then disciple students. It's more than that. I mean, it's indoctrination. I just think it was an unfortunate choice of words. Words that have reignited calls for a ban or overhaul of the weekly program. Call a review. Do a proper review into it. Stop just pretending that it's not a problem. But those who lead religious instruction argue it's about exploring faith, not just Christianity, but others like Islam and Buddhism. That helps a child understand and see where they fit in the world. Half of state schools have religious instruction, but it's not compulsory. Students need written consent from their parents to attend, while all the content must be inclusive. Families can do it in their own time, and we need to give that time back to the teachers. Religious groups say there have been no complaints about the video or any of its school programs in the last year. It's still a very popular program. In a statement, the Education Minister said there are no proposed changes to the legislation or policy. Like it or not will depend on who you put your faith in. Garth Burley, 7 News. Oh, boom, Tish. <laughs> you put your faith. Good on you, Alison. Alison's in the chat room. Oh, Alison, you're doing so well. Really, really good stuff. Like, it's amazing all these years suddenly get a flurry of of activity like that, really good. And yeah, again, I think shows the importance of just having a, well, a reporter willing to report. And then Alison and her group from the Queensland Parents for Secular State Schools being so up to date and knowing all the latest and be able to feed information and facts and provide commentary. Absolutely sensational work, Alison. So well done, three cheers to you. And- Yes, congratulations, Alison. Yep. Well, I just can, before I continue with this religious instruction stuff, just in the chat room, John says, you're clutching, Trev. Do you really hate the US that much? Well, I'd say, John, is that everything I've said would be in agreement with at least 10 commentators on the John Menadue blog, former diplomats, former Chinese diplomats, 
people with 20 and 30 years experience in foreign affairs, people with expertise are all saying exactly the same stuff. So there's been, I don't know how many articles in the John Menendu blog by, I can't recall how many people, but that's what I'm saying may seem contrary to the mainstream media, but it's completely in line with well-credentialed opinion. All right, back to the religious stuff. Holy smokes, somebody in the chat room's gone off, some crazy bot, saying, okay, that'll keep Joe busy. Yeah, so there was three articles in the Courier-Mail and we've got some Labor politicians who have come out saying enough is enough. Let me just find one of them in particular. Member for Capalabar, Don Brown, has said... As a father of a son who just started prep at state school, this video sickened me to my core. Time is up for religious instruction in our state schools. State should always equal secular. And he says, before you start labelling me as anti-religion, my son is baptised and I went to a Catholic all-boys school. If you want Sunday school for your kid, feel free to go on a Sunday, not at a state school. Scott, remember for Capalabar, Don Brown. That's exactly what should be said. Yeah. Now, Corrine McMillan, she was the other one that came out and that sort of stuff. I think she was a former principal or something like that, and she said that it was disgusting and all that type of thing. And she was my former member when I lived in Brisbane. Yeah. So that's really important that there's three voices in that parliament at least of people Mm. who are very public, presumably at some stage in party room meetings will be have, saying to Grace, yeah, Grace... You've got to cut this crap out. Here is my position. You should be doing something about it. If they're feeling that strong that they're prepared to come out publicly like this, hopefully some traction. So once again, well done to Alison. Right. Oh, just I think Bronwyn sent me this one about what's happened in Victoria. So in Victoria, as people would remember... They didn't, with religious instruction lessons, they said you can still have them, but they've got to be before or after school. And of course... It makes perfect sense. Yeah. And of course, no kid wants to do that. No, and no exactly. parent, no parent wants to have to leave home early or, or late. Yeah. And so this marvellous system that people love, in 2013, there were 93,000 Victorian students enrolled in special religious instruction... And now, previously, 93,000, now fewer than 1,000. Yeah. Wow. So. I, I think that just speaks volumes to it all. You know, it's just uh, like there was one guy there and that sort of stuff that was quoted in the article saying that so that's the reason why you've got so many more kids going into Muslim schools and that type of thing because it, it it's a... It's the fact that they've no longer got the they've no longer got the religious ed in the school. Mm. Well, yeah, okay, that's fine. If you if you if your faith is that important to you that you need to spend the money to actually send your kids to a faith based school, then that's fine. But you know, I, I think that it really should be a secular experience in a state school. Mm. We've been over that ground nearly as much as, well, even more than we've been over the ground of uh, submarines. But yeah, no doubt. Yeah. The other thing, Scott, is that the ACNC is investigating Hillsong. Yeah, that was very amusing, wasn't it? <laughs> mm. Oh, dear, what a pity. No, yes. that, that's because of the Tasmanian Independent. What's his name? Andrew Wilkie. Andrew Wilkie. He was actually saying he said some beautiful stuff in Parliament. 
Mm. All of the parliamentary privilege, of course, but now that the ACNC has actually woken up to and said, oh, fuck, we better actually go have a look at this. Mm. Mm. Uh, So he spoke in Parliament and obviously somebody's leaked a whole bunch of stuff to him. He had two large stacks of folders of documents and claiming all sorts of financial irregularities about Hillsong. So that will be interesting to see where that ends up. Probably don't yeah, want to talk sure. about it too much because I'm not sure of the rules of us repeating what he said in under parliamentary privilege. But anyway, no surprising that there's some skullduggery in the accounts of Hillsong and uh, yeah, see where that ends up. And there was an article in The Age by the son of Malcolm Turnbull, Alex Turnbull. And he was writing about the Christian takeover of the Liberal Party and actually... There had been another conference where David Pellow was in a panel session yeah, encouraging people to join up. ridiculous. You know, I because actually the hope time. they do actually do it because then the public's going to just turn around and say to them, no, well, they can go and get fucked. Mm. Yeah, but then be... the problem is Labor doesn't have anybody to hold it to account. Yeah, I know, which is the other problem. There's no doubt about that. But it's just one of those things that I hope that the teals, the teal independents and all that sort of stuff get together and form some sort of political party on their own and then they end up moving the whole thing. I would hope that they move the conservatives to the left just a little bit because they are too far to the right right now. And then you'll end up with the rural rump of the National Party and the and the crazy Christian nutters on the other side of the Liberal Party. Mm. You know, it's just one of those things that is absolutely ridiculous that you've mm. got a position that you had, you know, George Christensen was one of the dickheads and that sort of stuff who was speaking in that particular conference. Mm. He was actually saying that you've got to get out there, you've got to, you know, that the, they're just going to, they're just trying to copy the, they're just trying to, copy the Republican Party, which hasn't yes. worked, for, it hasn't worked yeah. for them over there. And they're big into culture war as well. So yeah, at this conference, which was the what was it, the Church and State Summit in Brisbane where David Pellow was urging people to, to join up to the Liberal Party so they could get religious candidates, at that one, George Christensen argued, Western culture was possessed by Satan. <laughs> <laughs> literally, literally or metaphorically. And civilization would end within our lifetime unless Christians unless acted or Jesus returned first. Ah, the rapture. Yes. We can only hope that he gets raptured and leaves us alone. <laughs> we can only. It's raptured back to the Philippines. Yeah. So, yeah. And I was talking about Alex Turnbull. He wrote an article and he said, increasingly, if you want to get pre-selected in the Liberal Party, you do not necessarily have to be a member of one of these religious groups, but you probably need their indifference at a minimum. I think he's understated it there. I think it's it's worse than that. He says, so this is the son of Malcolm Turnbull. I suspect at this point the Liberal Party is too far gone on this account. The branches have been stacked. The organisation fundamentally cannot be pulled back from control exerted by these more extremist groups. And worst of all, for all involved, it appears much of the Australian public has figured this out. So he's the first commentator I've seen, other than myself, talking about the actual more or less demise of the Liberal Party and where we would head to a, a splintering. 
So, so yeah, that was Alex Turnbull. Right. I think he's right. Mm, I think so as well. Splitters. Yeah, splitters. You get a Monty Python, didn't you, Joe? Yeah. Gary Lineker. Have you guys ever heard of Gary Lineker before? Not until the last couple of days when it all blew up. Right. Strangely enough, I have. Right. Well, because you've got an accent that sounds like you're British. Yeah. Yeah. Famous footballer. Must have been a good striker in his day, former English captain, I think. I, I, so. I'm not interested in people kicking a pig's bladder around a piece <laughs> of grass. <laughs> anyway, well, the... The UK has adopted Suella Braverman is the sort of Pakistani. Yes. Who happens to be an obvious sort of Pakistani sort of background or ethnicity, I think. Is that right? Indian subcontinent, I believe. Yes, something like that. Who's who's very much in favour of adopting Australia's sort of turn the boats back policy. So Now, Now that I'm here, shut the door behind me. Yes, that's it. <laughs> yep. which, which carries on from the argument that I raised a couple of weeks ago in relation to Indigenous affairs, that just because you get representation of people of the right colour doesn't mean you necessarily get policies of, of the right type for that colour. Representation doesn't necessarily mean you get the policies you want. Anyway, oh, by the way, on that score, still reading, I've decided already, if you were listening at all, Paul from Canberra, I've decided book club next month is Ken and Malik, Not So Black and White. So really, really enjoying that book and I'll be drawing lots from it in the Indigenous discussion when we eventually get to it. And still on that point, Paul, the 12th man and I, did an episode on Indigenous matters about three years ago and I've put that on a different podcast feed. So, dear listener, you need to subscribe to another podcast called IFVG Evergreen. If you just, on your podcast app, type in IFVG, search for that, you'll see IFVG Evergreen. And in that, the latest episode is a little introduction from me and a repeat of that (coughs) Indigenous episode as a little bit of a primer of some topics to consider when we get to the Indigenous episode eventually. Plus there's other episodes there, as the name implies, IFEG Evergreen, is topics that are evergreen and will not date. And so if you had a friend and you were wanting to recommend the podcast, you could say, have a look at this one and all the topics there are still relevant. Right, back to Gary Lineker in the UK. So... He put out a tweet. So here's the uh, compare of the match of the day for soccer. Football, as it would be called there, Joe. Mm-hmm. Cool, soccer, yeah. Now, referencing the turn back the boats type policy because of the thousands of boats heading across the English Channel. And uh, he said, there is no huge influx. We take far fewer refugees than any other major European countries. This is just an immeasurably cruel policy directed at the most vulnerable people in language that is not dissimilar to that used by Germany in the 30s. And I'm out of order, question mark. So that tweet riled the executives at the BBC 
which is like our ABC public broadcaster. ABC sort of modelled on it, if you like. And, uh, and he was told he had to step back from presenting the match of the day and for that tweet. And there was a lot of pressure put on the BBC by government ministers and they succumbed to that pressure and told him, you're off for the moment until you apologise for that tweet. And he was taken off air. And what happened was he got enormous public support. So his colleagues, his fellow commentators said, well, if you're keeping him off the program, then we're not going to appear on the program. So the match of the day coverage, where they normally have the segment with the commentators, just didn't appear that weekend. And lots of public support from all sorts of people. And basically, people were pointing out the hypocrisy that had been used against Gary Lineker. And it turns out that the BBC is just riddled with all sorts of political sort of operators, both on the board and in commentary, who say all sorts of things all the time. But guess what? Most of that time they're actually saying things that are positive towards the government rather than negative. And Gary Lineker was, was making a statement which was factually correct in many respects, but it was against the government line. So the government has since had to back down. Gary Lineker is a, is a guy with power that's not beholden to anybody, like he's independently wealthy and doesn't need the job on Match of the Day and there's a lot of public sympathy and warmth for the guy and obviously also a lot of people just not liking the policy. So it was a really interesting situation which we, Scott, I think you pointed out, we never had here in Australia any public (coughs) figure... No. A popular figure like that make a statement and get the same sort of support. So. Oh, yeah, obviously. What's his name? Now, talking footballers? Yes. Uh, Israel. Yes. Yeah. How so, is he? Yeah, exactly. So, what's the difference? Izzy made <coughs> political statements, did he? Well, well he, yeah, but know, he hate the gays go to hell. He made and, some outrageous statements that made absolutely no sense whatsoever. Yes. So I've got no problem with him getting cancelled the way he was. Well, you run the risk, don't you? If you're going to make a statement, you've got to be... You've got to be prepared for the possible blowback. Yeah, and if you're out of kilter with accepted social standards, yeah. then you're running the risk. As Yeah, whereas the government, I think, was out of accepted social yes. standards on this one. <laughs> in, in this case, indeed. And, uh, and there was a lot of hypocrisy surrounding it as well. So... It was an interesting sort of exercise at the BBC. Yeah, essentially he could, he was sort of powerful enough. And I'll just play one clip that I think is sort of interesting here because it sort of matches in a little bit with what we were talking about before, if I can find it. Just bear with me a second. This one here. So his business partner, like he's a wealthy guy, he's got all sorts of things happening. I think the BBC was interviewing his business partner sort of before getting into the, the the interview proper, tried to sort of point out this guy's 
connections to Gary Lineker. Anyway, play this. This, I guess, in a, some ways you have, well, you, you've, you've got business links, shall we say, with Gary Lineker, because you, you, you work on that podcast that is part of his company. But what do you think of this announcement by the BBC that he is stepping back from Match of the Day? Well, I'll come to the second part for later, but let me just say that is unbelievable that you feel you have to make that point clear right at the top. Well, it's true. Isn't does it? that, wait a minute. Yes, it is true. But does it mean, for example, that every BBC bulletin now should begin with the words, we should point out to viewers that the BBC is chaired by a man who makes massive donations to the Conservative Party and who helped Boris Johnson get an £800,000 loan? I'm just pointing Can out, the... explaining to the viewers yes, I know. that you do have a business connection with him. Well... Love it when people take on people in a proper mm-hmm. debate on yeah. camera. It's hard to see it more often. It's really powerful when it happens. Yeah. So, okay, you've pointed out a conflict. Fine. Are you going to do that every time now in future with every other person? This is what gets me about Aspie and, and the ABC and their panels. Like, they're so lazy that they they just you know, throw a bunch of people on a panel and just throw topics at them and say, why don't you chat about that? They don't do the sort of background work that we do here on this podcast. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, they'll get these people who are incredibly compromised because of conflicts of interest, no declarations at all. We're assumed to know that Greg Sheridan has, has got his connections with uh, Australia and all the other experts they get. So, anyway... Well done to that guy for sort of pointing out the uh, hypocrisy of wanting to, of the BBC wanting to point out his connection with Linegar, Linegar, but not pointing it out with other people. All right, I had a lot of stuff on that, but I'll skip through that. Really, there's a lot where the BBC, it seems, is appeasing the right wing. And I think we see that a bit with the ABC here, is guilty of that as well. And there's a commentator called Imar Haq who said, British conservatives, conservatives had three great post-war goals and none of them were constructive. One, break up with the EU. Two, gut the NHS. And three, kill off the BBC. And they've uh, been successfully working their way through those three things. And, you know, the local coalition here, Tony Abbott in particular, was vehement about trying to cripple the ABC to make it less effective. Oh, and the Conservatives in the UK have managed to cripple Mm. the NHS. Yes. And LNP over here wants to cripple Medicare. Indeed. And just underfund it so that it no longer performs so that then people will complain and you then hold up the solution of privatisation. Oh, look, it's in such a shambles. These people can't organise anything. We better privatise it. So, yeah, these things are repeating what's happening in Britain with the BBC, also happening to some extent here in Australia with the ABA. Scott, it's going to be a state election in New South Wales shortly. Yeah, and it's looking like the LP will probably win that (coughs) one, which is somewhat disappointing because the ALP has gone so soft on the whole gaming machines that I would have thought that we'd probably actually need a dose of the Tories to actually try and pull them back into line. Anyway. What? A, a, a dose of the Tories to They're, bring... They've been there for the last 
15 years yeah i know but they haven't they've only just acted they've only just acted on the on the uh, gaming Bar- devices barolaro wanted to become the head of clubs yeah, new south wales I know, and that was ridiculous yeah Sorry, you're suggesting that we should have the Liberals in this in New South Wales in order to take well, care of the in order to take care of the pokemons. Yeah. Okay, that's a theory. It's a theory. I'm not saying it's perfect, but it's a theory. Heritage has come out with an idea of a kids' future fund. Did you see this? Yeah, I did. I did see that very briefly, but I didn't actually read what it was about. So. Basically, the New South Wales state government, if re-elected, will set up kids for success with a new investment vehicle for each child born in New South Wales. Parents will be able to contribute to the fund and the government will match the contribution up to $400 per year with a $400 contribution made by the government. So, Scott, they've since said it also applies to kids born outside New South Wales if their parents are residents. But up to $400, parents can put, say, $400 in an account and the government will match it. Sounds like the Catholics are are gunning for more money for their kids. Well, Well, this is just... Which strata of society is going to be able to put $400 aside for their kids and get a government matching donation... And which strata of society might actually Need struggle it. with finding the $400 and therefore unable to get the top-up equal benefit from... The ones that will struggle are the ones who are putting all their money into pokies. <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what a terrible idea. No, it's a good idea. Conservatism is all about transferring taxpayer funds into the pockets of the wealthy. It's all part of this middle class, upper middle welfare. Yeah. Oh, it's safe. Ah. Still, at least it's not 540 million superannuation. Mm. Just on superannuation, apparently, in question time, David Littleproud asked Labor's Stephen Jones if a wealthy family with a farming business will pay more tax under the government's changes to superannuation. And Stephen Jones replied, yes, that is the point. We wouldn't be doing it otherwise. Good answer. And I think this is the same when we put a price on carbon and people are going, but my electricity's going up. Yes, that's the point. So you use less of it. Yeah. Ah, have you guys heard of the Shepherd Centre? Is this a Kiwi thing? It's a centre that provides, uh, helps people with their hearing, particularly for kids. Look, I'll t- I'll, I've got something here to tell you all about it. See if you can recognise this voice. The Shepherd Centre has grown with centres all around town. Their students are going to mainstream schools. Their talents there are bound. We shout and sing your praises. You bring joy to children's ears. For all you do, we give our thanks. You all deserve a cheer. The Shepherd Centre gives the gift of hearing. Thank you for the joy and love you're bringing. Yeah, and that's at that point, they, they, I'm they, going to get back. 
At that point, they all wanted to hand back their hearing aids. And said, <laughs> and said, my God, it was better without them. Yeah. You're supposed to play a trigger warning before that. Come on. Yeah. Well, I like to have a bit of fun with you. No. So, yeah. Actually, I didn't realize the, she was actually that ugly. Uh, Scott. Yeah, you know. Nasty things like that. That's not very nice. But look, there are ways of of getting a political message or a message out there in song, perhaps a little bit better than the Governor-General's wife. Here's a little snippet from a guy. I'll tell you who he is afterwards. Robodet. Pistol shots ring out in the Canberra night But the media don't cover it as you'd expect they might they're protecting politicians, especially one man. We got 2,000 suicides, it's all Morrison's plan. And is the story of Robo Dead? Who won the public service pretend to forget? Is it something that they should not have done? Okay, he goes on with the whole thing. He's good. Oh, very good. Very That's good. he to a song. Yeah, if you want to get a message out there. His name is Galeno and Ruben on Twitter. All right, where are we heading to? I'm waiting for the Tim Minchin song. Right. Which one? Oh, I'm, I'm sure he will Punch do one. Right. He's, he's, yeah. he's commented on various other things. Yes. Let me just see. I've done that one on media shortcomings. I've got, yes. So just speaking on RoboDebt, the hearing, public hearings have finished. Yes. And look, again, our mainstream media has been terrible in relaying what's going on, it's been a shocking story of the things that have gone on. It's and, pretty disgusting is what it is. And as the Commissioner said, the mainstream media really only showed interest when former ministers were in the dock mm-hmm. giving evidence. Otherwise, you know, the Commissioner sort of came out and made a comment about how the coverage was quite patchy and basically the best place to get coverage was on Twitter sort of congratulated the people on Twitter who were taking extracts and and putting them up there and explaining it. I have to say I've learnt everything I know about RoboDebt from the Twitter sort of files and extracts that are there. So It was interesting. There have been a number of comments in mainstream media about, oh, my God, social media, how bad it is, you know, how biased coverage. But the truth is... Actually, mainstream media is also very biased and they're just clickbaity and they're making money off pushing their narrative and they're jealous that social media is doing similar in a different direction. Yep. Uh, and yep. that you can you can pick and choose. Yeah. If you if you yeah, that's a bad thing. If you want to follow a total idiot, you can, but it's nice to be able to pick a, a an uncensored feed sometimes. Yeah, but this, you know, mainstream media is just so much, you know, fireman saves a cat in a tree type stuff. There's no analysis, even on, okay, Four Corners occasionally and Media Watch, but just the lack of analysis is terrible. So there's a tweet by a guy talking about insiders. So Insiders is a weekly program, ABC. It's supposed to be looking at what happens in politics each week 
And on the 12th of March, they did four minutes on robo-debt, which took a total of 11 minutes for the whole of 2023. 11 minutes. Just pathetic coverage by these groups. But of course, they'll then every week devote some time to what's making news and look at the mainstream newspapers and see what's going on. So yeah, sort of really struck by how poorly the media has been operating in the past two weeks. So some examples of media not operating very well. Our old friend Rowan Dean at Sky News. Let's just have a little bit of Rowan, 24 seconds. Because Daniel Andrews and the Labor government were using your money for secret polling just to drive their decision-making. These people should be in the dock and they should be in jail. That is my opinion. Rita, it drives me nuts, this stuff. Those people who are brave enough to speak out were demonised and yet we learn it was all BS. It was polling-driven. He's like me with submarines. Him mm-hmm. with Dan, he just doesn't give up. He wants him he wants. Daniel Andrews in jail. <laughs> just okay. continually going crazy over there at Sky News. Here's another one. I mean, we've seen plenty of footage about the January 6 riots and what went on there. Like shocking stuff in terms of violence that happened in that. But this is just... No, it was, um, it was a peaceful demonstration. They were oh, just you must, be, you must be watching Sky News because this is just from the other day. But rather, it was about the extraordinary revelations we will be chatting about later this morning about what really happened at the so-called January 6th insurrection. Having watched Tucker Carlson's amazing and irrefutable revelations that this was no wild mass protest at the Capitol that day, quite the opposite. Expecting flat earth theories Mm -hmm. from these guys now that denying the January 6th rights, the so-called. There there was, and I forget what it's called now, there's a website that has archived all of the Mm. social media they could get their hands on Mm. from that time. And there is a timeline of videos from all the people posting on social media and it shows everything that went on. Yes. From people who were filming inside the Capitol. Yeah, and then, you know... From the different inquiries that have been on, there's been all sorts of footage as well shown. So mm. it was extremely violent stuff going on there. So, Well, they wanted to hang Pelosi and Pence. Yeah, just to be denying that. What are we doing? Just, just we've got the media ignoring important stuff and completely <sighs> lying about other stuff. It's such a misleading, evil force. There's no solution. Have you guys seen much of the Dominion voting machines lawsuit that's taking place against Fox News in America? Only the revelation of the emails. Right, yeah. A lot of evidence that they knew it was complete bullshit. Yeah, exactly. were allowing people to say. And Dominion's, the amount of money involved is huge. And apparently there's another voting, another company similar to Dominion who's also caught up in this is also going to sue. It's the, the figures that they're talking about are enough to bankrupt News Corp, apparently. We can only hope. Well, exactly. Yeah. Although, you know, I follow a security pundit, less so these days but in the past, and he has for probably 20 years been saying voting machines are a bad idea, pencil and paper is really good. Mm. It's slow but it's accurate. You can recount as many times as you like. 
it's really difficult to screw it up and that's why sensible countries use it. Mm. Voting machines, everything happens inside a black box. You don't know who you voted for or whether your vote is going to get counted. There's no accountability. Mm. So, yeah, it doesn't matter who the manufacturer is. The, the, the problem is accountability. The problem is visibility. Yes, yeah, with, with a pencil, yeah, with a pencil and paper, you know you voted, you've seen it go in the ballot box, and as long as you've got independent observers, the chance, the, the ability to scam it is very, very restricted. Mm, I agree. And, you know, there's something community about it as well mm. where people go and, and the counting... Have your democracy so sausage. Yeah, and the counting is so transparent. It's yeah. done there at that building where the yes. voting was, they're not transferred all over the place in bags generally and voting's done there and then it seems, yeah, perception. Good point, Joe. Yeah. Finally, dear listener, as we wrap this episode up, Nord Stream Pipeline, New York Times, came out with new intelligence reviewed by US officials suggests that a pro-Ukrainian group carried out the attack yeah, they on the did. Nord Stream pipeline. It's, it's called the US military, the pro-Ukrainian group. <laughs> That's right. Uh, US officials said they had no evidence that Zelensky or Ukraine or his top lieutenants were involved or that the perpetrators were acting at the direction of any Ukrainian government officials. Just rogue Ukrainians in a boat. And uh, this is anonymous US officials just dropping a leak to the New York Times. And the New York Times, of course, presents it. And in referring to it, for the first time mentions Cy Hurst's revelation in the sort of last paragraphs of their story, they finally mentioned Cy Hurst and his scoop, if you like, after repeating the bullshit from anonymous <laughs> sources within the government. Honestly, they're basically saying that a bunch of renegades from Ukraine, unconnected to the military or the government, hired a boat and put enough explosives in it to paddle out to the necessary spot. And, and, and then had divers who were capable of diving that deep. Yes. And not be seen by anybody. Uh-huh. And then leave. And in, in a fairly it, busy shipping channel. It's just insulting to... It just insults our intelligence. Mm-hmm. Well, Ukraine's on entire the wrong side of the continent to get away with that. The Nord Stream 2 pipeline goes into Germany, which is on the other side of the continent. Yeah. So I think to myself, yeah, that just doesn't cut the mustard. Just, just the capacity of a group to do this is just ludicrous. Yeah, it is. And that's the best they could come up with. It's just insulting. So, ah... Uh, there we go. I think we've reached the end. Anything you want to get off your chest, Scott or Joe, before we sign off? The chat room's been going really well tonight. Good on you guys in there. So that was good. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. I won't talk about submarines next week. Give it a rest. No, you, can take a, you can talk about submarines as much as you mm. want. <laughs> okay. Well, head over to, as I said before, IFVG Evergreen. 
Look it up on your podcast app now and you'll see a thing about Indigenous Matters, which is your homework, preparation for that. And also I'll probably find the episode that we did on submarines previously, put that on there as well. And I'll just find different evergreen stories and put them on there. So if you are, look, dear listener, I have to say, we don't have nearly as many, don't have as many people listening to the podcast as did a few years ago. So tell your friends. Word of mouth is the best way of people finding out about this. And I'm sure you've heard more on this podcast in an hour and a half than a lot of other stuff out there. So if you think it's worthwhile, tell your friends and consider becoming a Patreon. There's a link in the show notes. Otherwise, shoot me an email or a message. Say hello. Tell me how much you enjoy the show. And that would be nice. I get occasional ones of those. All right. Well, it's time to finish. Talk to you next week, Scott and Joe. Bye, everybody. Yep. Thanks very much for tuning in. Bye now. Say goodnight from him. <laughs>